0: Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Lung Cancer Voices, the podcast all about lung cancer, and today I'm joined by Dr. Dan Bredner. Uh, Dan is an assistant professor in medical oncology in the Department of Oncology at Western University in London, Ontario. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Dan.
1: Thank you very much for having
0: um, me. For those of you who are regular listeners to Lung Cancer Voices, we've been running this pod now for oh gosh, a few years now. And so there are previous episodes that you could go back to in the archives about the topic that we're gonna to discuss today, which is EGFR positive lung cancer, epidermal growth factor receptor positive lung cancer. And I feel like there's been people like Dr. David Gandara and Dr. Natasha Lale and others who may have spoken on this in the past Dan is uh, leading some research in EGFR uh, positive lung cancer and running some studies which are happening across Canada. And so I thought it'd be great to invite you, Dan, to to be on this as you're, I feel, someone in Canada who's at the cutting edge of where EGFR research is going. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so don't let me down, don't let us down. Um, hi. <laughs> Hi, Bart.
1: The uh, names you were saying before, and I, I remember Dr. Tony Mock was on one of the EGFR episodes uh, as well. So right. I'm yes, I am I am intimidated by that company.
0: <laughs> there is no need. We are very fortunate on the pod uh, that we have experts like yourself from across the country and internationally who have been willing to give their time to explain the latest things in lung cancer to people listening. So let's get into it and. I think before we get to cutting edge stuff Dan let's just start with with the basics for those who who aren't familiar with it just could you just tell us you know what what is EGFR lung cancer and how common is it who gets it that kind of stuff
1: Yeah for sure and so EGFR which is epidermal growth factor receptor it's it's something that's actually in all of us so we all have this EGFR within us but normally it's doing the stuff that we need to to live a good life you know for example it's it's found in our bowels and our lungs and our skin. And so, for example, if you cut yourself, it naturally gets turned on. Once your skin's all healed over, it naturally gets shuts off, shut off. So it's a normal thing to have in our body that should be able to be turned on and off. But in some people, particularly in the lungs, if they get certain mutations, it's, it gets locked in the on position. So instead of it being something that the body could control and turn on and off, it's it's like a gas pedal that gets stuck to the floor, and it's just saying grow, grow, divide, divide, don't die, and and that's what makes it a cancer. Your body's not able to get re- to deal with it, and and then it creates this unfortunately uh, aggressive
0: lung cancer. I like that example that of uh, yeah gas pedal getting stuck to the floor that you know, we lose control over. Yeah, you know, often when we think about lung cancer, people think of tobacco exposure being a common risk factor, but Maybe you could just uh, explain that this is not seemingly related to tobacco, the EGFR lung cancers.
1: Yes, yeah, so so this is a lung cancer that that's found independent of of tobacco use, and quite often in people without a history of tobacco use, it is found in in women more than men, and and more commonly in people of um, Asian, particularly East Asian, genetic ancestry compared to say, for example, Caucasians. But can be found in in anyone. And depending on where you are in the world, it can really range from about 15 percent of lung cancers up to about 40 percent of lung cancer. So quite a difference even within Canada, depending on where you live.
0: Yeah. What is, what is it in London, Ontario? Uh,
1: in our area, probably a bit closer to the lower end of that, 15 percent or so, based right. on less fewer East Asians in our area and, and also a higher rate of tobacco use. So a bit less here compared to some um, other centers in Canada
0: yeah yeah and i think for people listening uh, the the rates are much higher in in british columbia in vancouver they're much higher a little bit higher in toronto uh, ottawa and london probably about the same uh, around that so 15% um but there are places uh, like uh, quebec city and uh, atlantic canada where the rates are maybe just slightly under 10% so mm-hmm. there's quite quite a range uh, actually dan when we were talking before we started recording i didn't mention this to you but there was some there was some work on pollution Causing EGFR lung cancers. Did you did you see that recently?
1: Uh, I'm now, not sure if I've the... seen the recent one you're you're speaking to, but but questions about whether or not some air exposures, whether I, from indoor yeah. cooking, outdoor pollution, may be, may be connected.
0: Yeah, that's right. There were, yeah, there was, so there was a, a, a conference in in Paris in September. There was a presentation from a, some scientists in London that seem to be linking uh, areas of high pollution, uh, air, high air pollution with particularly maybe causes of EGFR lung cancer. So it's something that I guess we can look out for. Okay, so that was really interesting about where EGFR is in our body and skin, et cetera, in the lungs, the gas pedal keeps it turned on, which is where the cancers can emerge. Uh, not, it seems to be independent of tobacco exposure. Slightly more common in women, East Asian. So we've got through that. Okay. How do, how do we find it? If if somebody uh, has an EGFR lung cancer, how would we know it's an EGFR lung cancer and not another type of lung cancer? So, no, great question. There's there's two main ways to to test for it.
1: The the more standard way, or the one that we've been doing for for the last fifteen to twenty years. Is is checking the actual tumor itself so most people who have a lung cancer will undergo a biopsy and then it's normal for them to check that to say does this look like a lung cancer. Um, To get other basic information about the lung cancer, what type is it small cell lung cancer or non small cell and EGFR is a subgroup of non small cell lung cancer. And, and they look for some other things like squamous cell. Is it a squamous cell cancer or an know, or non squamous adenocarcinoma or non-squamous cancer? And that's where most of these EGFR mutations are found, or a vast majority. And so since they found that EGFR mutations can be targeted with pills, they've been checking for it. And, and so they've been doing different kinds of testing over the years. But generally what they do in one way or another is they take a little bit of that tumor and then they actually grow its DNA, and they check to see, is there a mutation within EGFR? And I should add, these mutations that they find in EGFR, it's something that's happened just in the cancer. It's not in the person's whole entire body. It's not hereditary or all throughout them, but it's something that's found uniquely within
0: that person's cancer. And Dan, maybe you could just go a step further with the biopsies because like you say you know 10 15 years ago we would take a sample of the biopsy and we would specifically test for an egfr mutation and it would be an an egfr mutation test but now we're not doing egfr mutation tests specifically we're doing a we're looking for a whole ton of different subtypes um of which egfr is one and we and so it's can you talk about that process
1: yeah, so we use and, and this is something that I don't think this comes up in high school biology, but if you if you if you do it in, in university and and, and post-secondary, they, they used to do these tests called PCR polymer polymerase chain reaction, where they're really just looking for one gene at a time. And so that's what they used to do, where they would do, as you said, an EGFR test where they're just looking for changes in EGFR. But as we've learned more and more about lung cancer, and there are now many different things that can be mutated that might influence how we treat someone or what type of treatment they get, um, we're doing many of these things. And so it's not practical to check for EGFR, NTRK, ELK, ROS1, all of these different things one at a time. And so we now have these big panels called next generation sequencing, which we can check a whole bunch of different things all at once rather than doing one test for each an individual one, they can take some of the tumor, extract the DNA and the RNA, and then they test for um, sometimes hundreds of these things all at once. And then there are some very bright people who work in molecular pathology labs who figure out what all the information means, and then they give us reports so we are able to directly talk to patients about those results. And And that's how we usually get the EGFR results now from biopsies of the actual tumor. But there are some other methods that can work,
0: including
1: simple blood tests.
0: How does the blood test work?
1: So some people are a lot, I guess, uh, the harmony test or panorama, the way a pregnant female can have a blood test um, taken and you can find out something about the baby or the fetus in that person. The same thing works actually for cancer. So we all have DNA in our blood floating around. Our bodies are really efficient. It recycles everything it can. So it recycles our DNA. So the same way if a pregnant female has a baby, you can find a little bit, you know, you ignore the 99% of the mom's DNA and you just focus in on that 1% that's different. You can learn about the baby. Same thing goes with people with cancer. Sometimes if there's a cancer within someone, most of the DNA in the blood is normal DNA from from the person, from the host, we would say. But a little bit of it can come from the cancer. And so if they focus in on that DNA that comes from the cancer, you can actually look for things like an EGFR mutation within it. So you can find from a blood test that there is an EGFR mutation within someone. And if you know that they have a lung cancer, you can say, okay, their lung cancer has an EGFR mutation, for example. And we call that a a liquid biopsy, or specifically sometimes CT DNA, or circulating tumor DNA.
0: Right. And there's even some suggestions that you might be able to pick that up in in other bodily fluids, uh, Mm -hmm. urine, sputum. Yeah, uh, etc. But yeah, simple blood test. So before we get on to treatment, because I think we we need to move on to talk about what 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 on earth do we do when we find an EGFR positive lung cancer? But just just one final bit on on testing. So you've talked, Dan, about going from you know the single EGFR test, which isn't really efficient now because we want to find ALK and ROS one and the other subtypes as well. So to moving to next generation sequencing and then even maybe moving to liquid biopsies or blood tests. So what, what's the availability of these currently in Canada? Can anybody get an NGS test if they have lung cancer? Can, can everyone get a, a blood test, a liquid biopsy?
1: So, so yes, uh, any patient through their physician can have one of these liquid biopsies done. Um, There's actually been a program in Canada for the last couple of years for patients with lung cancer where they can get a a free CT DNA blood test done. It doesn't necessarily cover all of those different um, markers that we like to look for, those targets you mentioned, but EGFR is one that it does cover. And that's been available through a company called Conexia now for the last couple of years and and is going to be open for at least a little while longer there are also some commercially available ones meaning ones that people can pay for their cost can range from a um, 1000 or around 2000 dollars anywhere well up above 5000 and those are also available and sometimes they they check for more things than the other existing
0: test right and i think and the, the ngs though for the for actually testing the tumor that's pretty widely available now across canada isn't it? and and uh, most centers are doing that or sending samples to a center that that does do it I hope the liquid biopsies are going to become publicly paid for. You know, when when this company Connexia stops offering their f- free product, and um, I, you'd hope that centers were, are de- in fact, in our center, we're develop, we're trying to develop the technology at the moment to be able to offer that. So. You're doing the same in London. So, so we're we have
1: a pilot here where we're doing this liquid biopsy testing in our diagnostic assessment workup. So when people are found to have a lung mass. We're doing it there and and there are numerous cases where we found egfr mutations sometimes more than a month before the result comes back from their tissue biopsy and and these are from approved labs so that patient is on osimertinib or on on a egfr targeting drug for a month before the result comes back so i i do know in some cases it's made a profound
0: difference for that patient that's very cool dan so the idea would be that if let's say a family doctor sees someone in their practice with, you know, they've coughed up some blood or they're out of breath and they do an X-ray or a scan and there's a a mass which looks like lung cancer, then the family doctor what refers that patient to uh, what's one of these DAPs or diagnostic assessment pathways where historically they'd have gone through further scans and had a biopsy scheduled of the tumor. And, but you're saying that even at that first kind of point, they're also having a blood test even before the biopsy's been scheduled that, just that's so correct. you're getting well ahead of time yeah mm-hmm. that's definitely the way of the future very mm-hmm. cool oh we're not quite doing that in our research programs yet so this is just a pilot and it's still just research based so right but still mm-hmm. i think there's some good canadian leadership in this and dr norman blay in montreal he had a program or maybe still does which was doing the same thing and really helping patients to get sort of ahead of the curve in terms of getting on effective treatments more quickly. And that brings us nicely to treatments. So I think we'll have to divide this up a little bit uh, into different segments, Dan. Unfortunately, at the the moment, 50% of people with lung cancer, when they're diagnosed are at stage four, where the cancer has spread to other parts of the body. And of course, that means 50% are not at stage four and are at an earlier stage where there's there's maybe, uh, you know, better outcomes and better opportunities. So let's maybe start with stage four, because that's, I think, where the EGFR treatment story started. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what 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 would be the treatment if somebody came to your clinic with a newly diagnosed EGFR positive lung cancer.
1: So now today in, in, in 2023, if someone has an incurable metastatic lung cancer that has an EGFR mutation, they would get a pill or an EGFR drug that that targets that EGFR mutation, a vast majority of the time, one called osimertinib today. And and that drug has replaced the drugs that we used over the past number of years, other ones like gefitinib and afatinib that we
0: have used previously. And and why did osimertinib replace those earlier uh, EGFR pills? So
1: so this is actually a fairly unique drug situation where the best drug is also the best tolerated. And that's a wonderful thing for patients because quite often it's a balance between side effects and benefit. And this is one case where the drug really um, is the leader in both of those areas. And so there was a study called, um, sorry, sorry. So, so this came around over two different parts. First, people who are on the old pills a lot of them had a a mutation that uh, within EGFR that made the old pill stop working. And so first through a story, uh, through, through a study, Aura 3, sorry, Aura, we, we started to use these pills for those with this T790M mutation. And then they checked, well, is this pill the right pill to take from the start compared to some of these older EGFR pills and people who got Osimertinib, um, lived better
0: and longer than those who got the older generation pills. Yeah. And just just so I just so we don't get uh confusing with terminology, you mentioned that T790M. Yeah. So I think what you're referring to there is people who were on you know the older EGFR drugs, when the drug stopped working, it, it wasn't because EGFR had gone away and it was new, a new mutation. T790M is is a variation of the EGFR mutation that had sort of emerged and so awesome they've targeted that and now we use it the first line so how many pills do people have to take are they sort of 10 bigs sort or of horse pills or yeah. one <laughs> pill is it what, what's the deal yeah. one pill a day so so it's 80
1: uh, most patients get one pill 80 milligrams once a day and and that's the standard dose to give people
0: and you said that it's and I, I completely agree it was this lovely situation where the newer drug works better and is easier uh for for many years I think has been just about my favorite cancer drug to prescribe yeah. although there are a couple coming that I think are maybe yeah. even nicer but what what makes it so nice do you think or or so easy and it, of course there'll be people listening who will go well I didn't have that experience yeah. but in general it it's it, it's well tolerated what what are the kind of things that some people do experience
1: yeah so i mentioned before some of the things that are um that egfr is in our body naturally and and things like the lining of our mouth our bowels and our skin and so any drug that targets egfr can cause some side effects on those and so that can be things like rash or pimples it can be other things like soft bowel movements or even diarrhea and and canker sores or sensitivity to sun so all of the drugs can cause those side effects, but Osimertinib, fortunately, on average, does it less than some of the other ones, although certainly some people will still have stronger side effects than others. Fortunately, a lot of people have a very good quality of life on these pills, some, sometimes with minimal to no side effects, but certainly most people do notice some of these things, but they're they're usually quite manageable.
0: Yeah, I was just talking with one of the residents today. We just um, uh, saw a, a, somebody with a newly diagnosed EGFR lung cancer a couple of weeks ago. They were quite unwell, needed to breathe with an oxygen tank. And uh, we started the osimertinib, and, and within days, they mm-hmm. were starting to feel better. It was it's really, really a great experience. Um, so, Dan, now that's stage four. What about people who have stage one, two, or three where you know, maybe they're having an operation to try and completely get rid of the lung cancer. If if those cancers have the EGFR mutation, do we use the drugs in those situations or do we have that option?
1: So, so they can work into helping those patients as well. And so people, patients and people with early lung cancers, typically the way to deal with, especially an EGFR mutated lung cancer, would be to cut it out with a surgery if they can, to get it out, And then some of those patients will still get chemotherapy afterwards. But when that treatment's done, we now know that adding these pills, Osimertinib, after surgery and any chemotherapy they're going to get called adjuvant chemotherapy after surgery, you can add these Osimertinib tabs on adjuvantly or after surgery and chemotherapy. And, and that comes from a study, Adora. So I mentioned before Aura, A-U-R-A is what the study was, for patients who had incurable or metastatic disease with EGFR mutations. So we add the word AD, adjuvant, before that. And so all these studies have somewhat similar names where they have that aura part of it. So this was the ADORA study. And and so when they added these pills on for up to three years after they were done any other treatments, um, what we know so far is that those patients are less likely to have their cancer come back and through this report that we call progression free survival, which means the patient's alive and their cancer has not come back, or sorry recurrence free survival without their cancer coming back.
0: yeah, and I think we're we're hoping later this year to see if that is going to actually be confirmed as more absolute cures. But at the moment, we just know there's what fewer, far fewer recurrences, but we're not entirely sure is that because people are being cured or they, or it's people who maybe were going to have a recurrence and we're just sort of getting in early Mm -hmm. with the treatment for the recurrence that would come. So, so Adora. Okay. Another one coming this year is the uh, staying on the aura theme is Laura, which is sort of somewhere in between the surgery and the stage four. Yeah.
1: So patients who have particularly stage three lung cancers that can't be removed surgically. So maybe there's lymph nodes in the middle of the chest where the surgeons can't go or growing into something important that they can't cut out. Um, some people will have their their cancers treated and hopefully cured with chemotherapy and radiation. And so, when people are done chemotherapy and radiation, those with EGFR or mutated lung cancers they might get some other types of treatment. But the what the Laura study is looking at is is osimertinib beneficial at reducing the chance of that cancer coming back. And or increasing the chance of it being cured after chemo radiation or chemotherapy and radiation at the same time. So that's the the other group of people who who are not stage four, but also not those that can have their cancers cut out with surgery. Okay.
0: And it's called Laura because it's uh, stage three is sometimes called locally advanced. Or So it's, that's where the L for Laura comes from. is not Okay, so I think Dan, you've you've explained now that osimertinib really yes in stage four is the standard now, quite possibly in in the surgical setting, um, and and already being used by many people uh, in the locally advanced or stage three. We're waiting to see, but it's kind of everywhere. A question that we we often get asked, and people get you know very uh, nervous about if they're receiving Tegriso or, or, or which is the brand name for osimertinib. So if they're receiving this drug, they're from wondering, well, what if it stops working? What What's next for me? What are the, well, firstly, does it stop working? Or are there people who are on it forever or does yeah. it stop working? And then what, what are the options, do you think?
1: So so unfortunately, at, at some point, it does stop working. And, and some of the cancer cells figure out a way around these pills. So they start to grow despite the fact that the someone's taking the osimertinib. And, and sometimes it's just in one spot or two spots, and it can be treated with radiation or some type of a focal treatment to deal with that one group of misbehaving cells or that one spot. But at other times, it stops working in multiple places, and you have to change treatments or do something new to help the person at that point. And, and so this is a really big area for both research. Uh, obviously, it's something that patients are very interested in is There's been this big advance in helping patients with EGFR lung cancer with these new pills, Osimertinib. Well, what what about what comes next? And and so there's a lot of research there and looking at new strategies and, and broadly. So generally speaking, the next thing that's done is actually quite often chemotherapy. So standard chemotherapy with platinum and pemetrexid works, but of course with the chemotherapy side effects And so there are a lot of questions, well, can you do something instead of chemotherapy or can you do something after chemotherapy um, that works well?
0: Uh, So that's where we're getting now into your personal research. So can you give us, uh, I I don't think we need to to know like, you know, all the hundreds of different trials that are going on around the world, but maybe you could give us a flavor of what, what are the themes of research that people are looking at? that you know we're interested in when we have patients in our clinic looking for opportunities for them and and of course our patient population now is very uh well informed there's lots of online groups so they're often uh you know just as informed about the research as we are so
1: uh, so wonderful question i think because it's not possible to explain all the different studies i'd say they they do generally fit into a few different groups and so when the Osimertinib pills stop working, it's for some reason. And now that might be because sometimes that the cancer changes and looks totally different. And that's where treatments like chemotherapy might be the best, but sometimes they stop working because the cancer develops a new mutation. And and so adding a pill that targets that new mutation might actually be the best way to treat it. And so a lot of studies are looking at, well, can you give Osimertinib or an EGFR pill? along with something else to make it work, either against a mutation that we know the patient has because they've gone through some kind of second biopsy or or a liquid biopsy CT DNA test, or you might be adding something to it just to kind of help it work a bit better, something that just revs it up a little.
0: What what are some of those examples of new new mutations that we look for, that you would look for? Something called MET
1: or M-E-T, amplification, Um, RET mutations. And sometimes they can actually develop other mutations within EGFR. So before I use that gas pedal example, and these pills kind of cut the gas line, so it stops. But then if you get a, if the patient has a new mutation in EGFR, it's kind of putting that gas pedal to the floor again. So, so targeting those with those pills that target RET, MET, or even another kind of EGFR targeting therapy at the same time as an EGFR pill are, are potential solutions for patients.
0: Okay. And then Dan, there's been a bit of work then um, to try and get ahead of it. So in the way, when you were telling the story earlier about osimertinib, initially was being prescribed because people on Previous EGFR drugs had developed this T790 mutation. And so give ostimertin up front because it treats the normal EGFR mutations and it treats that resistance Mm -hmm. one, the T790. So you mentioned MET and RET and these other strategies. Are there any strategies now to say, well, look, let's not wait for that to come along. Can we treat everything up front, the EGFR, the T790M, maybe a drug that will cover MET as well, are those are those strategies being looked at so uh, so yes
1: uh, this actually uh, actually going to take us back to that aura discussion so there's actually a study called flora fl aura and that means first line and so sorry flora 2 specifically and so in this study flora 2 they're actually adding chemo the study some patients will get osimertinib which is our standard treatment and others will actually get chemotherapy and osimertinib together and the idea is, if you're attacking a chemotherapy with two different types of treatment, might you avoid that the cancer develops the resistance mutation or some type of resistance as quickly? And so that's a really interesting study because we're hoping to hear soon, will patients who get chemotherapy and osimertinib, will they will they live longer? Will it take longer for the cancer to grow? And will adding the chemotherapy to the pill's have an acceptable effect on their quality of life so so that's one way of potentially getting ahead of it from the start by by adding something to it there's an uh, leaving overttinib for a minute there's another study with a, there's a drug called Amivantinib, which is a fancy drug which basically its own it has two different targets one of them targets met one of them targets EGFR and it's kind of a drug that holds those two things together and and then they actually add an EGFR pill, Called Lazertnib at the same time, and perhaps giving that as the first treatment for lung cancer with an EGFR mutation might be the best treatment, and that's being studied in a study called Mariposa.
0: Yeah, you know what I learned about Mariposa—that that those trials were developed. And there was a first one called uh, uh, Chrysalis, mm-hmm. and uh, and then and then the next ones were Mariposa and Papillon. So. Chrysalis, of course, is is before the butterfly hatches. And then mariposa is butterfly in Spanish and papillon, butterfly in French. And that's how they named their studies. My colleague, Dr. Sarah Moore, she uh, pointed that out to me. uh, That's a complete digression. Uh, (laughs) She she must be better with languages than I am to know those. so. (laughs) So if my understanding is correct, a lot of the studies that you've mentioned that we're waiting for, Laura... Uh, updates on Adora, this, the Flora 2 with chemo, Mariposa with this drug, Amivantamab. We're expecting results of all of these studies later in 2023. So Dan, you should probably come back on the podcast maybe at the end of the year or this time next year when it's quite possible that this field will have changed and, and jumped forward hopefully quite a way. But I, I think we've covered an awful lot of ground There is one burning question I do want to ask though before we get off, which is about immunotherapy. We often get asked about immunotherapy treatments, which have been a huge advance in lung cancer and people with EGFR lung cancer. We haven't talked about immunotherapy at all. We talked about chemo and these other drugs. Does immunotherapy have a place here, Dan?
1: Unfortunately for a vast majority of patients with a a lung cancer with an EGFR mutation, immunotherapy does not seem to help. Um, there are a few cases where there have been immunotherapy given, and and it may have worked a bit. And so we're, there are studies looking into, well, why did it work in that case and not another? And that might be because it was given with something else, the type of drug called uh, VEGFR or VEGF monoclonal antibody. And so there's still more work to be done. And I I hope that my answers to your que- to that question will change soon. But right now, the standard types of immunotherapy that we use in other types of lung cancer, unfortunately, are, are not helping pa- patients with EGFR mutated lung cancer.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because I think I think that's what I, most of us do as well. As, and we get asked a lot, don't we, by uh, patients with EGFR lung cancer. So, well, why can't I have immunotherapy? And, and it's not that you can't have immunotherapy. You're, it's ele- you're eligible for it. It's available. It's just not necessarily going to be that give you the best chance of success and so it's really something to try if really if we don't have anything else i think and there's probably better options to look at yeah yeah yeah. i agree with you dan are there any big egfr topics that i've i've uh, sort of missed here or things that you wanted to share that we we've not covered
1: no the only thing i would i would share is i would encourage any patients out there to to ask their oncologists if if they're at a point in their treatment that they're curious if there are any other options out there including clinical trials i think it's always good to ask if there's any trials available and and including at perhaps at other places nearby if if they're willing and motivated to go to those places
0: that's great advice and in fact so amivantamab a drug that you've mentioned uh, a couple of patients of mine did very well on research studies with amivantamab but we didn't have it open in Ottawa so they traveled to another center to get that drug and, and um, you know good for them because it's quite a it's it's quite a commitment just in travel but um, it worked really well for them well dr dan bredner from western thank you so much for your for your giving up your time and and walking us through egfr lung cancer for those listening if you've heard things here that you have questions about Please do go to the LungCancerCanada.ca website, or uh, speak to your own healthcare team. Of course, if there are if there are issues that are specifically pertaining to your health, and uh, stay tuned. We've got new uh, episodes of Lung Cancer Voices coming with some of the other subtypes, like ALK. There's going to be a podcast coming on medical assistance in dying. There's going to be a podcast with Dr. Gandara, who I mentioned before, who's going to be giving us an update on. Immunotherapy. So uh, so please tune in for future episodes. But Dan, maybe I'll give the last word to you and and thanks again for coming. No,
1: thank you very much. And and, and thank you to all the wonderful work that Lung Cancer Canada does, and certainly for all the patients out there and, and just keep it up. Thank you. And thank you for having me. You're
0: very welcome. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan on Twitter at lungcancer underscore can and on Instagram at lungcancercanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.